Saturday morning at a treehouse meeting in our backyard. Over Kool-Aid and crackers, you could hear through the laughter just how smart they are. With crayons they wrote down the things they crazy what children believe. It's amazing what children believe, actually. I uh, want to tell you a story first, first of all, and then I'll get into the, the message itself. I remember, I was thinking about this uh, this morning, that when uh, Rachel, our oldest daughter, was about five years old, um, she loved going to the park in San Leandro, um, Memorial Park, and there was a big slide there. And used to love going down the slide. And uh, she said to me, I think it was probably on a Monday, she says, Hey, Daddy, can you take me to the slide? And I said, Sure, I'll take you to the slide, but not today. I said, I'm, I'm really busy. And I was really busy that week. Uh, I was teaching every day. I was uh, studying to prepare for the teaching. Uh, we were involved in literature distribution. I was involved in that. And it was just a really hectic, hectic week. On top of that, I had uh, counseling cases with some of the interns that we were uh, training, and it just, the week was crazy. And so every day she'd come to me, Daddy, can we go to the park? Yeah, we'll do it. So maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, I forget which day it was, I said, look, it's, the week is crazy busy. So I said, Saturday, I'll take you to the park. Great. Never heard a word from her after that the rest of the week. Saturday came, and I was just swamped, and I hadn't had time to prepare for the message I was supposed to be pre- uh, prepare, preparing for for Sunday, and I knew if I came up here and I had nothing to say, you'd all go home, and so I was busy working on the sermon all day Saturday, and it just wasn't coming easily, and then about, I don't know, 4 or 5, probably 4.30, something like that, Krista came in, she says, you realize uh, we have a dinner engagement tonight, right? I go, oh. And it was a couple from the assembly, and uh, we had promised them that we would be there at 6 o'clock. It was too late to go to the park. And I thought, oh, no, I forgot all about that. So I quickly finished the sermon, got dressed, we went out for dinner, and they had a lot to eat and a lot to say. (laughs) And at 10 o'clock, we left. The sun was down. And I was driving by Memorial Park because... They lived between, uh, Memorial Park was between our house and their house. And as I drove by there, I looked and I remembered. And so I pulled in. <laughs> it was dark. And I got her over to the slide and I said, come on, climb up the slide. And so she climbed up the slide in the dark. 
And when she got to the top and she had her little feet dangling over the edge of the slide about ready to go down, she said, Daddy remembered his promise. And it just about slew me. I said, whoa, because I almost forgot. I almost forgot. She says, Daddy kept his promise. I said, wow. I never forgot that. And I don't think she did either, actually, because she brought it up multiple times after that. The song was talking about first grade philosophy. You know the problem with first grade philosophy? As kids, we have these ideals about what matters. And as we become adults, we grow up to be just like our father. And pretty soon we realize that the world is actually filled with liars. And soon we learn that we are liars too. And so we are liars, and we are surrounded by liars. Jesus actually taught that in John chapter 8, verse 44. It says, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And he's our father. When we are born, we are born under his domain. He's our father. He's, he's the one that we follow. And then we begin, as we grow up, we begin to excuse our lies by saying, well, it wasn't really a lie. It was just a fib. And uh, I didn't really lie. I just stretched the truth. Or I fabricated a story. But when others tell us untruths, we, we are like little children again, and we go, liar, liar, pants on fire. Right? We can do it, but they can't do it. We were born into the human race. Our father was the devil, a liar from the beginning, and our physical parents were liars too. They told us in tragedies, things will be okay. Many of them told us of a jolly, white-bearded man who sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been good or bad. So be good, for goodness sakes. And they weren't talking about God. We were taught early to express our delight for presents that we hated. Tell Grandma that you really, really like the underwear that she knitted you. Or we tell our kids to say to the caller on the telephone, tell them I'm not home. Where should I tell them you are then? (laughs) Right? And we wonder why our kids lie to us. We wonder why. We are liars, surrounded by liars. And it's because this problem of lying so permeates every part of our life that we have to confirm that we are actually telling the truth because people begin to doubt what comes from these lips. So to convince people that we are not lying, we have invented oaths. A first grader may ask the question, do you promise? And you go, yes, I promise. But there's still some doubt. Do you pinky promise? 
Pinky swearing is an informal way of making an agreement to keep a promise. You, you uh, put your two pinkies together, mine and the other person. And when you do that, it's supposed to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that you mean what you say and you're going to keep your promise. And to school children, such a promise cannot be broken, uh, as can be seen in this recent video. You are coming, right? Of course, of course. Pinky promise? <sighs> oh, yes, my pinky promises. <laughs> Despicable me. As we get older, we're still surrounded by liars, and so when we are questioned about the truthfulness of our words, we say things like this. I cross my heart and hope to die. Really? I swear to God I am telling the truth. You hear people say that? Or I swear on my mother's grave. Wow, that's pretty strong. I swear on a stack of Bibles because one Bible won't do anymore. And it used to be tradition in courts of law to place your hand on a Bible, to raise your right hand and say, I solemnly declare, to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Do they do that in courts anymore? I think they just say, do you promise to tell the truth? And you just have to say yes now, I think, right? But they used to make you put your hand on the Bible as if that made your further statements more truthful. And what do people do? They get in the stand and they lie like a carpet anyway. Those who take oaths as they come into public office, including the President of the United States, will place his hand on a Bible and will say something like this. You, Richard Milhouse Nixon, do solemnly swear. I, Richard Milhouse Nixon, do solemnly swear. That you will faithfully execute the office that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States of President of the United States and will to the best of your ability and will to the best of my ability preserve, protect, and defend preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States the Constitution of the United States so help you God so help me God right All of these sayings point to one fact, and that fact is that we are habitual liars. Otherwise, we would have no need of pinky promises. We would have no need of laying our hands on the Bible and raising our right hand. If we were always and forever truthful, we would have no need for these oaths, right? If we have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have a new Father. It says, as many as receive Him, uh, to them gave He the right to become children of God. And in 1 John it says, and such you are. If we're children of God and we no longer are under the Father of lies, and God is one who, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We are now under his domain. God is our father. Well, he doesn't want his children lying. And so that brings us to the one verse that we're going to look at today in James chapter 5 and verse 12. 
But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. In this short epistle, James keeps pointing to one part of our anatomy that causes us the most problem, and that is right here, our tongue. And he does it in every chapter. And so I I just want to do a quick survey again, real quickly, about uh, the problem with our tongue. Chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. And the fact that, that if we cannot bridle our tongue, verse 26, our religion is useless. In chapter 2, it says, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Verse 12. Chapter 3. There are actually 12 verses devoted to the subject of the tongue and its proper use. And James says about our tongue in verse 8 that our tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Chapter 4. We are told in verse 11, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. And verse 16, it says not to boast about the future because all such boasting is sin. And then finally in chapter 5, we are commanded to mean what we say and say what we mean. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. So let's break down verse 12, phrase by phrase. But above all, my brethren. So some people look at this verse and they go, oh yeah, he thought of something else and he just threw it in there. But that's not what happened. In fact, He's making an emphasis here, putting this verse apart and separate and saying, listen to what I'm about to say. This is above everything I've already said. It takes prominence. It takes precedence over everything else. And that is, uh, above all, my brethren, let your yes be yes and your no, no. He's really saying the same thing Paul does in Ephesians 4.25. Paul says, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. And so it is critical that while we are in a sinful world filled with liars, that we no longer participate in that practice. In the devil's work, really. For he is a liar from the beginning. But that we instead speak the truth in love. That we hold fast to the truth. That we honor our promises. That we make and follow in the footsteps of the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when James says above all, he means before all things, in front of everything, superior to all things. In other words, make this a priority in your life. Your your tongue and the use of your tongue, not swearing with it. Now, we could apply this verse to not swearing, meaning not uh well, keeping our speech clean, free of cursing, free of minced oaths and other filthy talk or profanity or swearing. But that's not the primary meaning of this passage here. The verse is not forbidding taking an oath in a court of law, for Jesus himself was placed under oath at his trial, and he spoke as a result. This verse is speaking about carelessly, uh, or the the careless and unnecessary use of the Lord's name to... um, Make your word stronger. By God, I promise to do this. Okay? Or something along those lines. Emphasizing um, uh, an oath in, in the Lord's name. 
Now, there are many times in the Old Testament and the New Testament where oaths were actually used. Abraham uh, swore oaths, the children of Israel did, David did, and even Paul took oaths. And it, but, and it seems that um, oaths in the Bible had three parts to them. First, it was to underscore the truth of a promise. Second, it was to call upon God as your witness. And third, it was to ask for God's punishment if you violated your promise. So I'm going to give you an example of that today. You've heard people say some pretty ridiculous things, such as, I swear by God that I am going to do this, and may God strike me with lightning if I don't. You ever heard somebody say something like that? Or, if I'm not telling the truth, may God strike me dead, as they begin to look over their shoulders, right? Which means what? They're not telling the truth. As Christians, we should never have to add strength to our word. If we say something, just do it. If you make a promise, fulfill your promise. People should be able to depend upon our word. Our yes should mean yes, and our no should mean no. If you make a promise, if you commit to something, if you sign a contract, if you obligate yourself in some way, then you should fulfill your promise. You should be so truthful that people can simply count on your word. Simple as that. People should be able to depend, um, in fact, you should be able to depend on your other brothers and sisters here at Calvary because love lasts forever. Our husband or wife should never fear divorce court because moms and daddies stay together. We should be able to depend on promises or contractual obligations because cheaters never win. Our children should be able to rely on promises we make to them because a promise is something you keep. We tell the truth because it's bad to lie. At least that's what children believe. And that's what we should believe and practice too. Be a man. Be a man of your word. Be a woman of your word. James says, let your yes be yes and your no no. But you say, well, what if I've already taken a vow? I want to tell you something. If you've taken a vow, it's serious business with the Lord. It really is. And he expects you to keep it. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2 says this. If, an, if a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. I was asking Chris on the way down here. I said, can you think of times and events where people make promises to God and they don't keep them? She says, sure. I think of people who are in situations, um, you know, they call them foxhole professions. They're in some kind of predicament. They're in some kind of a dilemma. And they say, God, if you'll just get me out of this, I will promise you, I will, you fill in the blank. I will do this. Deliver me from this, Lord, and I will follow you the rest of my life. People say it all the time. Lord, if you just help me out of this predicament, I'll follow you. I'll listen to you. I'll read your word. I'll come to church. Whatever the, the issue is that they say. To violate an oath is to break a commandment of the Lord. The Bible says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless. 
who takes his name in vain. The Jews seemed to be under the impression that certain vows were binding and others were not. And if we make a vow, I'll tell you something right now, it is heard by God. And we must be true to our word. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 23:21, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. You know, there are people who promise God, Lord, if you would just give me a bonus this year, I'll give half to you. Lord, if you'll just give me a, a little better salary, I'll start giving you 10%. And then they don't keep their vows. Do you think the Lord heard that vow? Of course he did. You shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. Leviticus 19.11, verse 19.11 and 12 says, You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another, and you shall not swear by my name falsely. Now, there are people who swear by the Lord's name and make a promise and fulfill it. But here he's talking about those who make the promise and then don't fulfill it. That is swearing by, the, by his name falsely. Nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 5 as well. He says this in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. I just showed you the verse but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. Sound familiar? I think James is quoting from the Lord here. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. What does he say? You go beyond being, just saying yes or no. You're really spouting the same sort of thing that came from the devil's mouth. You're following in his footsteps. Whatever is more than these is from the evil one. It seems that some of the Jews did not want to violate the third commandment of the Lord. And so, instead of making an oath in God's name, they substituted another, ne- another noun for his name. Instead of swearing by God's name, they would say, well, I swear by heaven, or I swear by the throne in heaven, um, or by the earth, or by Jerusalem, or by my own head. But it betrayed their heart when they did this. The moment you start swearing by something other than just saying yes or no, you are really saying I'm a liar. I'm a liar. And I have to say this because you know I'm a liar. And uh, I want to tell you how much I really mean this. But, and, and as the Jews did this, they weren't even meaning this. Even when they started talking about um, swearing by heaven or by Jerusalem or by the throne or whatever. And they were really uh, showing their hypocrisy. And the Lord cuts through the hypocrisy and forbids all forms of swearing or oaths. As Christians, our word should be enough. We should not have to say, I will swear on a stack of Bibles that I'm telling the truth. I should not have to say, I will do something, so help me God. Our yes should mean yes, and our no should mean no, and whatever 
is more than this is sin. And whatever is more than this is from the evil one. So if anyone makes a vow or a promise or a contract or swears to his own hurt, he is obligated to fulfill it. So many people try to weasel out of their promises. You know, it's like a game that they're playing and they're trying to see if they can, you know, certain strategy they can take to get out of promises that they've made. And the Jews were no different. They had all kinds of exceptions to the rules. If you swore by the temple, well, that really doesn't count. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, well, that one you have to fulfill. And the Lord talked about all this kind of nonsense. It's like the childish rule that people use today. I promise you that I will do this. Do you believe my promise? What am I hiding? I had my fingers crossed. Okay? It's like an escape clause to every truth. Really? That's going to eliminate or uh, uh, free you from your commitment? I don't think so. David said in his haste, he wrote this, he said, I said in my haste, all men are liars. I've often read that and I think, David, you didn't have to say it in your haste. You could have thought about that one for a long time. And you still come to the same conclusion. All men are liars. But this should never be said of us as Christians. So how do we apply this to our lives today? You ever made a promise to someone? And after making that promise, a better opportunity has come along? We get tempted by that ourselves. We contract out our house. And uh, it's better for us to have a tenant in there for a long time. Um, over a period of, you know, a week or two weeks. And I've had people call me up on a Friday afternoon or something like that and say, hey, I see you have availability for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, in the middle of June or something like that. And we've made it a policy that we will take the first booking we get as long as it's a legitimate booking, even if it hurts us. And so we say, okay, yeah, I'll send out a contract. No sooner do I hang up the phone and somebody calls and says, hey, I see you have two weeks available in June. It would be better for me financially to take the two weeks. But I made a promise. What do I do? Call up, hey, I mistook, uh, I don't really, I I can't do that. The dates were available, I promised. And so if you've made a promise to your own hurt, the scripture says, you fulfill it anyway. You fulfill it anyway. Do not change. If you've sworn to your own hurt, the psalmist said, do not turn back. You know, some of you are in a profession where a vow is administered um, and you are under constant obligation throughout your career to fulfill that vow. Anyone in public service, police, military, they make a vow to fulfill their duties faithfully. Those in the medical profession take the Hippocratic Oath to uphold professional and ethical standards in the practice of medicine. The Pledge of Allegiance is actually an oath of one's loyalty to one's country. Unfortunately, public servants often do not protect and serve. Military personnel sometimes do 
illegal things. There are medical professionals who break their oath by aborting babies and hastening the death of sick patients. There are many who swear allegiance and yet are disloyal to the very country they live in. What can I say about politicians who, you know, pledge on a, on a Bible of um, proper fulfillment of their, their duties? And every married couple on their wedding day stood before God and in front of witnesses and they made a pledge something like this. I, Don, take you, Krista, to be my wedded wife and to live together in marriage, to have and to hold from this day forward, I promise to love you, comfort you in honor, and keep you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness or in health, to love and to cherish. And forsaking all others, I promise to be faithful to you alone for as long as we both shall live. Most of you said that if you're married. Something along those lines. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. So when we commit ourselves to doing something here at the chapel, for example, where we teach a class and we promise that we're going to teach a class or follow up with someone or to preach or to help in the nursery or to help in the kitchen or to do whatever, some ministry, do what you promised to do. And if you didn't promise to do it, ask to be removed from the list. It's really simple. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Before you commit to something, Jesus talked about this, count the cost. What's it going to cost you in time and energy, perhaps financially? If you can't fulfill your your obligation, then don't sign the contract. Don't make a promise you can't keep. Let your yes mean something in the midst of a world of liars. James says that those who break their word, the last statement that he makes here, will fall into judgment. So I'm going to tell you a story. It's a Bible story, and I'm going to read it verbatim, and I want you to just sit back and listen to it. It's a story in the Old Testament. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation because it just reads um, a little more smoothly that way. But just sit back and listen to this story. Now all the kings west of the Jordan River heard about what had happened. Okay, so let me give you the context. This is Joshua chapter 9. And in Joshua chapter 9, you remember that Israel had come into the promised land. They had defeated um, the first city, Jericho. God had defeated them. But before that, they had defeated enemies on the other side of the Jordan. And before that, they had essentially defeated Egypt, or God had, right? And so the people in the promised land had heard about all the history of, of uh, Israel for, for over 40 years. And they knew that they were next. They already knew it. And so they're now in the promised land. They've defeated Jericho. The city walls have fallen down. Then they f- defeat the city of Ai. And then the rest of the people in the promised land know that they're next. They're, they're, the, the Israelites are coming for them next because God told them that that's what they were to do. God had given them, by the way, God was not some kind of mean guy. He had given the nations within the promised land 400 years to repent, and they wouldn't do it. And so God was now punishing them. And so that's the context of this passage. 
There were those kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites who lived in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far north as the Lebanon mountains. These kings combined their armies to fight as one against Joshua and the Israelites. But when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to deception to, de- to save themselves. They sent ambassadors to Joshua, loading their donkeys with weathered sandal bags and old patched wineskins. They put on worn-out patched sandals and ragged clothes. And the bread that they took with them was dry and moldy. When they arrived at the camp of Israel at Gilgal, they told Joshua and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant land to ask you to make a peace treaty with us. That's an oath. Come together and make a peace treaty. The Israelites replied to these Hivites, How do we know that you don't live nearby? For if you do, we cannot make a treaty with you, because God told them they couldn't. They replied, We are your servants. But who are you? Joshua demanded. Where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country. We have heard of the might of the Lord your God and all that he did in Egypt. We have heard what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, King Sihon of Heshbon and King Od of Bashan, who live in Asherah, or Ash, yeah, Taroth. Uh, so our elders and our people instructed us, take supplies for a long journey. Go meet with the people of Israel and tell them, we are your servants. Please make a treaty with us. This bread was hot. From the ovens when we left our homes. But now, as you can see, it's dry and moldy. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but now they are old and split open. And our clothing and sandals were worn out from our very long journey. So the Israelites examined their food, but they did not consult the Lord. Then Joshua made a peace treaty with them and guaranteed their safety. And the leaders of the, of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. Wow. Three days later, after making the treaty, they learned that these people actually live nearby. The Israelites set out at once to investigate and reach their town In three days. The names of these towns were Gibeon, Kephira, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack the towns, for the Israelite leaders had made a vow to them in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. The people of Israel grumbled against their leaders because of the treaty. But the the leaders replied, Since we have sworn an oath in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, we cannot touch them. This is what we must do. We must let them live. For divine anger would come upon us if we broke our oath. Let them live. So they made them woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community as the Israelite leaders directed. Joshua called together the Gibeonites and said, Why did you lie to us? Why did you say that you live in a distant land when you live right here among us? May you be cursed. From now on you will always be servants who cut wood and carry water for the house of my God. They replied, We did it because we 
your servants, were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you this entire land and to destroy all the people living in it, so we fear greatly for our lives because of you. That is why we have done this. Now we are at your mercy. So do to us whatever you think is right. So Joshua did not allow the people of Israel to kill them. But the day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the community, or or that day he made them uh, woodcutters and water carriers for the community of Israel and for the altar of the Lord, wherever the Lord would choose to build it. And that is what they do to this day. How important is a promise to you? How important is an oath to you? There is a day... Um, once a year, that is the day when all the liars come out. Do you know what day that is? January 1st. I resolve to do this. And on January 2nd, we see that most of us are liars. We live in a society where promises are broken every single day. They were lied to. And yet they made an oath before the Lord, their God, and they kept that oath. In James it says that if we break our oath, we we should not break our oath, lest judgment come upon us. So at the end of this story, in Joshua chapter 9, we go, well, you know, they did the right thing. They kept their promise. That's good. Now I want you to fast forward 400 years. Because I want to ask you a question. How long does God expect you to keep your promise? Certainly past January 1st to January 2nd, I would say. But think about the promises that you have made in your life. The promises that you've made to your spouse, the promises that you've made to your children, the promises that you've made to other believers, the promises that you've made in contracts, the promises that you have made and committed yourself to fulfilling. How long does God expect you to keep your promise? At least until the promise is fulfilled. How important is this promise? 400 years later, Israel is in a very bad um, Famine. It's a severe famine, the scripture says, that lasted, was already three years in the making. So three years of famine. And you say, why? Why is God allowing this famine to take place? And so we're now actually, King Saul is already dead. King David is on the throne. And during his reign, there is three years of terrible, terrible famine. And, and he doesn't understand why the Lord isn't blessing them. And he comes before the Lord, and this is what he says in 2 Samuel 21. There was a famine during David's reign that lasted for three years. So David asked the Lord about it. And the Lord said, the famine has come because Saul and his family are guilty of murdering the Gibeonites. Really? The Gibeonites? You mean the guys that they promised 400 years earlier? And God is holding them accountable now? Yes. So the king summoned the Gibeonites. They were not part of Israel, but were all that was left of the nations of the Amorites. The people of Israel had sworn not to kill them. 
But Saul, in his zeal for Israel and Judah, had tried to wipe them out. David asked them, what can I do for you? How can I make amends so that you will bless the Lord's people again? Well, money can't settle this matter between us and the family of Saul, the Gibeonites said. Neither can we demand the life of anyone in Israel. What can I do then, David asked. Just tell me and I will do it for you. Then they replied, it was Saul who planned to destroy us, to keep us from having any place at all in the territory of Israel. So let seven of Saul's sons be handed over to us, and we will execute them before the Lord at Gibeon on the mountain of the Lord. All right, the king said, I will do it. The king spared Jonathan's son Mephibosheth, who was Saul's grandson. You know why? Because David had an oath with Jonathan about his son. And so he kept the oath with regard to his son, uh, Mephibosheth. But they took seven men and they killed them, seven men of Saul's family, the ones who had been against the Gibeonites. What are the things we believe? We looked this morning at things children believe. The things children believe. And I just want to go through that list again with you real quick. Does love last forever? Mom and daddies stay together. Cheaters never win. And a promise is something you keep. It's bad to lie. It's okay to cry. Dreams never die and faith is all you need. Do you believe these things? Is your yes, yes, and your no, no, anything more than this is... Really opening yourself up for judgment, the judgment of God. Have we left a trail in our life of broken promises? I'll tell you something. The story of the Gibeonites that we read this morning should serve as a warning to us that the Lord expects us to tell the truth and to keep our promises. What if you haven't? Well, in the case of David, he came and he confessed that what they had done was wrong. What can I do to make up for what I've done wrong? Ask God to forgive you for making promises that you have not kept and then begin to fulfill those promises that you have made to your wife, your children, your boss, your employees, your friend, your church, your God. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, we realize that, as was said by Isaiah, that um, we live among people with unclean lips, and ours are unclean as well. We think of how often we make promises that we do not keep, how often we say things that we do not fulfill, how often we say things in, with great passion, and when it comes time to actually fulfilling what we have said, Lord, we fail, and we ask you for your forgiveness. We ask you, Lord, to teach us to speak the truth. Help us, Lord, to speak the truth in love. Help us to always fulfill the things that we promise to, uh, to fulfill and uh, to fulfill the commitments that we have made. Lord, bring to our hearts, to our minds, to our memory, the things that we have said, yet we have not done. And help us, Lord, to make these things right this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.